Welcome to the Dayton War Cry Club. I'm Warren, and today I'm joined by my co-hosts Fred and Dave. Today we'll be going over the results for, of our store championship tournament and covering a lot of War Cry news, including the new expansion coming out next week and the re recently released FAQ. Hey, good evening, guys. How's it going? Hey, just living the dream. Hey, how's it going, bro? So we have had a pretty busy, pretty eventful uh, week here, actually. Uh, we had our first ever tournament last Sunday. We're recording this uh, uh, on a Sunday, so a week ago now. Finally getting the results out uh, in a video in video format. And uh, we're also, uh, a couple weeks ago, we had the reveal for Blood Hunt. And actually, that uh, got announced today on Warhammer Community. So within a couple of weeks or so, that will be in our hands as well. But the biggest news that we'll probably be covering today is going to be the new FAQ. Absolutely. Yeah, that one, that one kind of threw us for a loop. Yeah, it's, it's seismic. Uh, did some things that I think a lot of people expected were coming. Um, and that did some things that, at least for me, I was surprised by. But generally, um, generally happy with it. We'll, we'll get to it. Yeah, yep. I think I think it was necessary changes. Yeah, overall, a lot of things that the that the community had been asking for, or like actually like frequently asked questions, they actually answered them, which is great, uh, and addressed a lot of things that we I didn't expect either. But just like cleaning up the game a little bit. And uh, we'll also cover upcoming events. Actually, we don't have anything set in stone right now. We'll be chatting with you guys and trying to maybe set a couple dates for some stuff coming up uh, later in this month. That's good. Yeah. First off, hobby update. As a reminder, if you're listening to this on the podcast, this is best experience on our YouTube channel. So you can see our hobby picks uh, when we do battle reports, see the kind of the breakdown of the movement on the battle reports. Uh, you know, uh, breakdowns of, of the lists, and uh, we have more pictures and stuff to show you as well. So go ahead, like, and subscribe the Dayton Warcry Club YouTube channel. Last time I checked, we had 307 subscribers. We were hovering around 300, uh, and we finally got over, got over that hump. Uh, and thanks, everybody, for your support on the YouTube channel. We're coming up on a one-year anniversary, and, uh, you know, pretty happy with, uh, uh, with having 300 sub, uh, subs at this point. So I got a lot of stuff to show off here. Uh, still still building a lot of stuff, still doing a lot of kit bashing. And I also got my stuff magnetized as well. So all my painted stuff is magnetized in, in a sweet case. Uh, you're using hot glue and some magnets there. Uh, that's pretty a pretty neat storage solution I have. Uh, the cases from Table War has those metal plates and slides out and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm gonna have yeah, to go through really something good. like that for yeah. some of my larger models. Um, yeah, because I handle these like Lord of Afflictions and, and that kind of stuff are real tricky to fit. So yeah, like Varengard is is kind of a tricky travel companion. Yeah, and you can see the you know my my uh, flesh eater courts there, right? Are some pretty big wing model guys. Actually, the guy up front there that you see, he's actually the first casualty of the magnets. He's got one foot attached to the base and it was already weak connection because it had already broken once and it broke because the magnet was too strong so do be careful about that i got to kind of rebuild them and reinforce them uh, a lot of the kit bashing done uh, again working through all the stuff i had on sprue a lot of spare bits 
built some uh, skull reapers. Not skull reapers. Yeah, skull. Yeah, skull reapers uh, for corn. Uh, a couple blood warriors with double axes. Uh, I had the guys with from the box with the uh, gore fists and using some spare parts. Uh, ordered online, made them into the uh, double axe uh, blood warriors. Down in the lower left, it's my attempt at making marauders look cool, just with a head swap. So that's get a, rid of the derpy heads. Yes, that's a big challenge. Those are not <laughs> my favorite models generally. Those yeah, look good. I like, I like the heads. They, Hard to deal oh, with the suspenders, but uh, the heads are, are an improvement. I don't. I don't mind the. I don't mind the suspenders and the straps. With those, I wanted something like so. That's those are Frostgrave cultist heads, and I wanted something like gimp mask looking so uh i think i got the right effect there then what else uh finished finished these last night uh so my storm cast i finally have almost almost all the storm cast done kit bashed so uh there's a bunch of my liberators there Did a little bit of arm surgery on one of my prosecutors uh, and these guys, so these guys are almost all ready for priming this week. And I got an airbrush coming. I'm going to, I bit the bullet and we're going to do airbrush priming for these. So moving forward on these, I have a deadline I gave myself here. I want to get these finished by the end of March and play these at Adepticon. But then uh, you guys got a few things done too. Yes. Yep. So Dave, tell me about yours first. Yeah, uh, this is the um, Herald. I don't remember the name specifically of the uh, Herald that is on foot, but that is what he is. Um, and then that is the Blood Hunter, who is the Blood Crusher leader. Um, I, uh, I've had him kicking around for a while and just finally kind of picked him back up the uh, man, sorry. Kind of picked him back up uh, yesterday and uh, finished him off a little bit few things I'd like to tweak and, and basing, of course, still. But for the most part, yeah, I think they're they're looking looking pretty good. Looking tabletop ready. And Fred, what you got? That is the Glotkin. Um, the only conversion that was done to it is leaving the riders off the top. It's supposed to have a Chaos Sorcerer and a um, uh, Blight King uh, on top. And uh, since I am using it either as a Cygor or a Gorgon of my Nurgle-themed army, I left those off. Um, took two days to paint. I'm fairly happy with where it's at right now. There's, like, infinite amount of tiny little touch-ups that it will probably get over time. Um, and then, of course, I rebased it on... It, it comes on a round 130-millimeter base, and I rebased it on a Gorgon oval 120-millimeter base, which... It fits on. It's the same rough height as a Gorgon. It's just a little girthier. Um, but uh, that'll be my... I wanted something real nerdily um, as, uh, as the monster. Um, and we'll talk about those lists that I'm kicking around later. But um, I think one of the factions that gets to play around with monsters a little bit, even after the FAQ, is probably Nurgle Demons because Plaguebearers are so cheap. And I've always liked the big Nurgle models, the Maggoth Lords and the Glotkin and the Great Unclean One, but none of those were tall enough to be a Gorgon, so we went with the Glotkin. Yeah, it looks sweet. Yeah, and we'll definitely be talking a little bit about monsters here and what, what happened with them. 
So before we get to our tournament, though, or talk about the FAQ, we also had the reveal of Blood Hunt. So yeah, we got. I don't think it was uh, stunning to many people that it ended up being corn versus vampires. Uh, that was kind of one of the real early theories that everybody was kicking around. Once again, as usual, cool models. And uh, I think some, some really um, potentially interesting competitive models in these warbands. And we'll have to kind of wait and see how the warbands as a whole look. But um, some of the profiles that we've seen so far have looked pretty good. Yeah, we don't have time to do a deep dive into these. Uh, but uh, yeah, like, for example, the Hound here. The Hound here is a decent profile. He's a fast mover, kind of like a flesh hound. And it had an interesting double that lets you take another another act, another act, activation in a row. I think that's interesting. Uh, there's some good-looking profiles, uh, some mid-range profiles in, in, in this warband. You get Blood for the Blood God. Uh, a couple of the other YouTube channels have already kind of done some analysis on this. And uh, we might get the time to do the uh, do that ourselves. Uh, the one thing, though, like stylistically, though, you mentioned that, like, yeah, we sort of guessed like with Blood Hunt, it was going to be corn and vampires. That's what I guess as well. But what I didn't guess was the like the flavor of corn that we'd be getting. Right? Yeah, they're not, you know, these are not your typical. I mean, they're still bloodthirsty idiots, but these are like more feral werewolf type bloodthirsty idiots. And so they love they love corn's goodest boys. They're uh, flesh hound fanaticists. Yeah, so they worship like a giant flesh hound, like Son of Sam or something like that. Uh, yeah, uh, Carnarak. I'm probably butchering the name, but it is uh, the three headed flesh hound that is corn's like personal pet. Yeah, so this is pretty cool. And then also, I so I was not expecting this. I expected vampires, but I wasn't expecting vampire monks with like this with this Asian influence, like monks or samurai. Yeah. yeah. And um, they're an interesting war band in that the models consistently have good high strength, good damage, and a low number of attacks. So it'll be really interesting to kind of see how they play on the table. Um, those profiles are generally like kind of high variance because you don't get to roll a lot of dice. Um, but, uh, they, some of them look like they could be pretty efficient with, with those profiles there. So, uh, again, cool models and, uh, I'm yeah. looking forward. I'll probably, I'll probably take a look at them because I play a little soul black gravelords. Um, and, uh, I'm looking forward to tinkering with them. Yeah. I think Dave, you had your eyes on the corn. I think Zach had his eyes on the terrain. We're going to take a look at that in just a sec. Yeah. Worth noting, they all have Games Workshop hair, and it's great. Um, just Games Workshop likes to give its vampires like the big, spiky, wild-looking hair, and like I'm super I'm Saiyan hair. Yeah, yes. like the one dude's hair basically does look like flame coming out of his head. So the uh, the center guy with the the two-hander sword, like just straight up flame hair. Yep, it's good stuff. Yep. All their vampires. another interesting point. So usually in the for the bespoke warbands, there are like 10 models. And so you have some like really cheap, like 60 point chaff or so. These are two eight model warbands. So I think the cheapest any of these models is, is something like 90 points or 100 points or something like that. So yeah, something else to keep in mind, you're getting like all mid range fighters. There's no real chaff in either of these. Yeah, yeah. They're, 
they're, they're exploring some interesting space with these. And um, I'm really curious to see how they play. And then the terrain. Again, more of the same here. Uh, yeah, more more meat-eating trees. A little, a little bit more bamboo, the palisades and stuff like that. I think this is yeah. kind of interesting. I do like the more fortified elements of it. Yeah, more bamboo, less rocks and stuff. So I, I'm interested in I'm interested in this. I think Zach is probably interested in this to expand out his Hardegur terrain. If this is like the last set, then there'll be a set of combined cards with Heart of Gur. So you, we can build dense boards that way. And then another bonus reveal from that from that uh, Warcry reveal. New Lizardmen. Neither, yeah, neither of our Lizardmen players are, are on right now, but uh, new Sauruses, new Skink Knights, and a new Slan Starmaster. They're doing a thing with um, the Seraphim where they all have like celestial options and like i forget what the other option is called but there's like the star glowy ones and like the more lizardy ones and it'll be interesting to see how that plays on the table um all the slant star master options are great and this is another good one i think um yeah it's, it's a cool model range and uh these all look big fan of, of yeah that Kind of the Star Master might be my new favorite Games Workshop model. Oh I man, just look at his face. He is just not having it. He is just, he's got his pets, he's hes flying around, he's having a good time, you know? I like that they went away from the um, clear stock flight base there mm. um, to a more organic looking. It looks like it'll break very easily, but um, it looks yeah. cool on the table. It, it looks, it gives you a more um, immersive hovering feel i think than the the clear stock in the middle i agree yeah the gw flight stands folks are not fans of those yeah he also has a fabulous mustache which i don't think i've noticed <laughs> Just amazing top to bottom yeah uh, and, and this is just cool part of I like the slant star master and seraphon it's a good shooting model it's slow but it still flies it can teleport models it's it's a it's a very versatile piece too so mm -hmm. Yeah, and this is this is just part of one of the range refreshes. Probably more coming, but uh, really, you know, getting the sources right there in the slant, thats probably most of what you might want for a good Seraphon army nowadays, anyway. Yep. Yep. All right, but so we talk about our our tourney recap. So we only had six players. I had a few more that were RSVP'd. Uh, we could have had ten players, uh, but unfortunately, we you know we only had we only had to do three rounds because of that so we we uh we uh, scrambled the missions around a little bit i had another mission set up and I had a good arrangement of of four match play missions for everybody if it came to that uh, we played we opened up with cursed relic uh and we played hidden vault and then we finished up with good old killing stuff and reaper mix a good mix of of game types right all, i agree yep, yep. Those these, are, my, these are probably I, my three favorite of the uh play match play missions yep my intent here is to get one treasure mission uh one objective mission and uh one kill mission and so reaper is opposite of uh no quarter i believe and uh we don't like no quarter here we, we think that one tends to uh lead to ties so that put us on reaper um 
I had a choice between hidden vault and ley lines. Uh, went with hidden vault. I actually wanted to do hidden vault and ley lines. And then for the treasure mission, uh, cursed relic for the treasure mission, because uh, from what I'm hearing, being the first person to pick up the relic is not does not necessarily guarantee you the win because of the six damage or the d6 damage you take per turn. It is possible to to lose or to quote unquote, quote unquote break serve in cursed relic. I think in the uh, in the five treasure mission, that one I think is harder to break serve. If you can if you can take the the center one, you can play you can take two more of them and play keep away and win three two. Cursed relic I. Th- think is a little more balanced but uh i liked cursed relic quite a bit what what i like about it from a game design standpoint is that a lot of your lists that have like dedicated treasure hunting models um are small and fast because big and fast tends to be really expensive in 2.0 so a lot of those do not have a lot of wounds and the cursed relic aspect of it, the D six damage is a real downside. If you, you have to hold it for four rounds. Um, yeah, yeah, it, grabbing it. it will reasonably kill any like 10 to 12 point model that picks it up and can't hold it for more than a round or two. Yep. So it turns the mission into like, so you take your biggest guy, right? And you try to have him go grab it. And, you, if you have your biggest guy that's one primary damage dealer, you don't necessarily want to throw him into combat while he's also taking D6 damage. So there's a lot of tension in a lot of different directions, which which I like. Right, because you can also not pick it up and try to just scrum around it as well as, a, as an option. So you don't necessarily have to have it in your possession, but if somebody swoops in in the last mission and takes it, then they win. So yep. there's a lot of back and forth between that yeah and we got pictures for hidden vault we know reaper we know we got pictures of we got pictures of those and a couple battle reports uh potentially to run for those two missions from this tournament as well but uh let's go over the uh let's go over uh everyone's uh lists here and everybody's warbands so i i had a uh i brought a light box to take pictures here uh set that up pretty happy with how it turned out uh, with, with the light box, still kind of getting used to learning how to use it. Um, it works really, really well for single miniatures to zoom in on a single miniature. Um, to try to try to get a large, like a whole war band together, you kind of get to you kind of see the the seams in the back, and it's a little bit harder to kind of get things focused and kind of get enough light, especially if you had darker models. Uh, a little bit of photoshopping afterwards to bring up the to bring up the uh, the brightness helped in a couple cases, but overall, I think this is pretty neat, and uh, we'll be doing more projects with this in the future. Uh, yeah, I'll just really speak, cool. Yeah, I'll speak for Zach. So he played Corn Bloodbound. Uh, he's building around Bloodsecrator, and also um, I believe the Slaughter Priest. He mentioned the Slaughter Priests also have an AOE attack buff and just a Blood Reaver spam. So that was his goal. Blood Secrator bomb style, right? Like the goal is to set up big Blood Secrator turns if you can. Yep, that's part of it. That's part of it. And I, I, I was never a believer in Blood Secrator bomb. Even a Blood Secrator being 160, it's still a quad. Um, but he also mentioned that he had a pl- couple Plan Bs because Slaughter Priests, I believe, also have a similar ability. I wasn't aware of it. 
maybe it's a generic corn leader triple where on kill you kill someone and, and then you get a, an attack bubble for the turn like plus one attack i don't know if we're gonna have the time to really do like deep list dives on all of them but uh managed to get 10 models on the table with um uh some really interesting um options where the the slaughter priest can pull the blood secretors uh, support piece and then just a lot of models on the board so there's definitely like a coherency to the list here um there's definitely like a plan a and a plan b which is sign of a, of a good well thought out list yeah the the, the generic hero triple is lord of skulls uh, triggers on kill until the end of the battle round add one to the attacks characteristic of melee attack actions made by visible friendly fighters while they're within six inches of this fighter uh zach's warband is two slaughter priests one with axe one with flail one blood secretor and seven blood reavers 995 points 10 models got to remember to narrate so in third place we had justin frechette at night using night haunt at two and one and he painted his in like in a a uh, technocolor scheme, uh, two dreadblade harrows, one lord executioner, two chain rasps, and two glaive wraith stalkers. A total of seven models and 995 points. A couple of, of quick thoughts on this one. Um, I love the paint scheme. I, I really did. And he actually ended up playing, uh, there was a match where he played the OCR Bone Reapers player, and they both had sort of for like, a death faction list like really brightly painted models and it looked really good on the table mm -hmm. uh, but as far as the list goes um avoiding a lot of chain rasps is i think a good place to be like you don't like spamming chain rasps i don't think is is going to be a successful strategy um and then uh two dreadblade harrow feels like a lot of dreadblade harrow considering that their teleport ability is a triple um, but you can spread them out. I mean, they are 10 inch flyers even without the triple and you can spread them out and res in different corners of the map, which is cool. And, uh, no spirit hosts, uh, which is kind of interesting. Those are kind of like one of the options you can have for, um, high damage output. Um, so it's kind of interesting. I, I, I don't know a ton about the faction, but I tend to gravitate towards spirit hosts. Um, so yeah. uh a couple notes. So Justin is is fairly new to Warcry, but he's an, he's an experienced kill team player, and so he's been to a couple meetups already. He's had a couple near near misses with getting his first win. Uh, so he got his first wins today, and actually did did uh, really well today. Um, it's worth noting the two Dreadblade Harrows, the Chain Rasp, and the Glaive Race Stalkers all I believe have easy to build options. So as a starter warband, even though you're you're not using Spirit Host or some or like some of those other uh, uh hero models it it's an easy place to get in and uh having played justin once this is like his style you know this finesse style and really using the the move six flyers across the board yeah, this uh, is definitely a play to the mission type mm -hmm. list you're not mm -hmm. going to overpower if you try to commit the fights too early you just don't have the offensive output to to punch through so this is definitely like a pick your battle um play to the mission style list but i believe he he won reaper he won reaper on uh on uh on uh round three yeah well reaper is a selective killing mission right all your guys are fast you can you can pick where you want to fight plus res yep yeah yep 
Second place, we have Dave with your hey. good old hey. Slaves to Darkness, two and one. Uh, run down your list for us. Yeah, okay. So uh, the Vanguard, uh, we all, all three of us love and talk about. Um, we've settled on the Demon Forge Blade. Um, we think, especially with Relentless Killers, the uh, the better damage profile um, isn't as important as the uh, less attacks. So we've kind of settled on that. It feels good. Uh, the War Queen is the War Queen. She's a blender, uh, a little glassy, but she uh, pretty much holds her own as long as she is not just like molly whacked uh, right to begin with. Uh, the Deathbringer is allied in from Corn Mortals. Um, he's just got he's got a decent amount of wound. Uh, he does a lot of damage. Uh, he's got some good abilities. Uh, we've got the uh, two Chaos Warriors, uh, one with the two weapons, one with the weapon and shield. Um, that's just there to provide a little more punch. Uh, the weapon and shield I actually like to use to uh, clog up lanes because with his six toughness and 15 wounds, uh, you can use the generic Slave to Darkness reaction to heal. So like you can just kind of use him to plug up lanes for a while. Um, and then Marauders just kind of rounded out some more activations. They can poke with their three-inch range. They can they can do some damage, but you know they're Marauders. They're there. Um, overall, uh, I like it. Um, I don't know it's it's perfect. I'm still tinkering with it, but um, you know I've got three three pretty good uh, hammers to work with. Um, uh, some mid couple mid-range fighters. A little bit a little bit of chaff uh, can really really do what I need to do with it mostly I have a sort of have an answer for everything I think with the expense of not excelling at anything which also is you know jack of all trades master of none sort of catch 22. Um, so, so David and I have been discussing his slaves to darkness list and kicking around a lot of ideas before this event and I think this is um uh, we, I think you landed in a good place, kicking around all the options. Um, uh, I think the list is good. Uh, I like Chaos Warriors a lot, and I have a lot of lists kicking around. You use a lot of Chaos Warriors that I hope to try out soon. So overall, this is a solid list. It's worth pointing out here that David had room to play um, the 290-point Baron Guard, but uh, chose the Demon Forge Blade uh, anyway. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I think, you know, that was the right decision. I've been really impressed with Demon Forge Blade. Yeah, this just kind of shows, like, the evolution of a list from, like, what we originally had. And, you've, you know, we can't, you arrived at this list and you actually played this same list uh, for a couple of different events there. So, it's Yeah, I do. I do have a lot of reps in uh, with this list, which is one of the main reasons I decided to go with this iteration. Um, so it's and it's performed generally pretty well so you just have a hard time beating fred i, I say he had one loss yep that is uh that's the story of my life so so this is my list fred. um yep. through again it. i had room for the 290 point what is that ensorcered weapon I had room yep. for the 290-point Ensorcered Weapon Varen Guard, but chose to take Demon Forge Blade instead. Uh, I think it was a good decision. I think that it performs really, really well. 
Uh, I've said in other places, and I stand by it, that Lord of Afflictions is becoming one of my favorite models in the game. Um, I mean, it's a cool model, but like it, it, it plays really well on the table. Um, and then the Plague Ridden is just the cheapest possible leader. It's just an upgraded Plague Bearer. It's pretty significantly upgraded Plague Bearer. It's, it's, four, it's almost twice as expensive as a Plague Bearer. Um, but it's not like in there for its profile. Uh, but, um, and then just six Plague Bearers to round it out. Um, I don't think we mentioned it uh, at the beginning of this, but this tournament rules included no monsters. Correct. Um, so this was my take on... If I was building a monster list, it would look a lot like this. And then the Lord of Affliction sort of steps in as the monster. Uh, these are the type of units I would use to support a monster um, in a list like this. And then I tried to think, like, how would I build a list you know, like that? And I settled on Lord of Afflictions, um, got a points increase in 2.0. And I think that that scared some people away from, from trying him out. The thing about the Lord of Afflictions is that he cannot die. Um, <laughs> he has 42 wounds. Um, we talked about how you didn't want to necessarily grab a uh, the Cursed Relic in the first round, but I raced my Lord of Afflictions over there and grabbed it, and he took six damage a turn from the... I rolled a six every single time, and it he still had wounds to spare. Um, because he's so he just soaks so much damage. His pro damage profile is good. He's got a two-inch range. He flies. I, I like the unit a lot. Um, and it it it's really the true hammer in this list. Where I will put the Lord of Afflictions anywhere on the board, and and line him up against just about any opposing unit, which lets the Varen Guard do what I think the Varen Guard does best, which is move 10 inches, pop Relentless Killers, and attack, basically getting a free action out of a double on Relentless Killers. Um, but I don't want to expose... The Varengar died a lot. Um, six Toughness is great, but 30... Died moves, every game. Yeah, leaves him very vulnerable to being crit to death if you put him up against units with, with high crit damage. So I want the Lord of Afflictions to go fight those guys because he can soak crits where I want the Varengar to use that 10-inch movement to move and basically double attack um, with a with a 5 or a 6 uh, double on the Lumbus Killers. It basically gives him two attacks. And um, I want him moving and attacking just about every turn, picking targets of opportunity and um, you know playing sort of the assassin role. And then the Lord of Afflictions is like, pick the spot, and this is my spot. You know, come come get it. Um, which I think he really excels at. He's six is slow for a flying unit, but it's fast for just a regular unit in the game. I was gonna get to that, yeah. Because it's a six move flyer, that's part of the reason why he's actually like not like four hundred points. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. But six move six move is still fast in this game. You, right. you fast enough, yeah, fast enough to get to where you need to, especially with the flying. Yeah, you don't compare him to the 10 and 12 inch flyers. You compare him to like the Ogre Tyrant who moves four and he has two more movement and flying for five more points. Same amount of wounds. So, you know, you, you, you if you think of him as just a fast footlord with the flying tacked on, the, he then plays very fast um, with a two inch range, too. 
So, and he's got a net ability. If you want someone to not disengage from you so you can finish killing them, he's got a, a, a venomous thing, can pin them in place. Um, just a great model. Love Lord of Afflictions. Uh, hard to fit in a lot of lists uh, because it's 320 points. But when you're spamming 50-point models, um, you can find room for two big hammers like the Vanguard and the Lord of Afflictions and still play nine models. Awesome. Love yeah. the list. Love the list. It felt really, really good. So not only did Fred win first place, also swept the painting competition. He took a vote. And, uh, yeah, he pretty clearly won the painting competition as well. Again, check it out on YouTube for the for the pictures and stuff. I got a couple more close-ups of some of the, the big models here. Yeah, that was, that was, that was really cool. I, I've never gotten any sort of painting award anywhere, so it was, that was really nice. And uh, it's just nerdily. You know, I have a, a nerdle painted Varengard. Um, everything is just over the top and nerdily, and those are really fun to paint. For me, you know, you're putting all like the entrails and boils and stuff on them, and it, that's just a good time. You know, one of the things I didn't do, I did not take pictures of the of all the participants, or a picture of you with the trophy or anything else like that. But you were wearing a Nurgle shirt, yes, Nurgle dice. Uh, you had you Nurgle had more backpack. Nurgle, Nurgle backpack. You, you found a Nurgle backpack. Nurgle dice tray. Yep. And Nurgle uh, dice boxes, too. So I was just shilling for Grandfather's Blessing, and uh, I got it. And <laughs> we, we, have, happy. we have we have three corn enjoyers in the local area, and but you're, you've established yourself as, as the Nurgle guy. Yep, I am. Next uh, faction I'm working on is I have two boxes of Rottmeyer Creed, and I, I have a fully built and painted... Um, Nurgle Mortals list as well. Um, it's just, you know, not very good. But uh, Rottmeyer Creed will round out kind of all the Nurgle factions of the game for me, and we'll go from there. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. Uh, show off the other uh, the other warbands we had, too. So, uh, Joel, uh, Joel's Ossiarch Bone Reapers. Uh, just kind of showing that off in some of the work that he, that, uh, he put into his warband. Yeah, I played uh, Joel with the Warband. It, it both played uh, well on the table, and uh, it looks cool. I like the color scheme. Um, my Soul Black Gravelords, like, for example, are I feel like a little too muted on the table, and I like that both of our death players for this event decided to really keep that deathly feeling but, but add a lot of color where they could, and it, it really kind of pops. Yeah, it looks really good, and... Uh, I also played Joel. I actually, I actually ran the uh, the Dayton Warcry Club gauntlet because I played Joel, Fred, and Zach. Um, <laughs> and really, our game was very, very close. Uh, it could have gone uh, either way. Um, so they played well. They looked good. Um, we're gonna get him on here, and he's gonna he's gonna tell yeah, tell you about them himself. Eventually, we're going to pin him down, or if we're going to find time for him, he's got a battle report, so we'd like to have him on to, ch to chat about that. And yeah. I, again, without getting too, I, we're going to do the battle report. I won't get into too many details about the game, but our game came down to um, in Reaper in, in the final round. Um, he had killed the Varengard, 
And so I was down to play. We, someone needed, we were tied. We each had a point, victory point. And so when someone was going to win the game in the final round, if they could get a kill, and all I had left was Plague Bearers and the Lord of Afflictions. And so I was like, that's a really good spot to be in, right? Because he can kill 50-point models. Um, but the Lord, he's not going to get the 320 points for the Lord of Afflictions. Like, he just didn't have enough damage on the board to kill it in one round. And so, like, all I had to do was kill a unit worth more than 50 points. So there's there's a lot of value, I think, in having that super high wound, like mobile battle platform type model. And that was just one of many situations that came up where it was really good to have just like that. You don't really care if he eats crits. You just, he just soaks damage. I wish I'd taken a picture of the Morghast. The Morghast is a big model, just impressive. Yeah, huge. I was, I've never seen one on the table. <laughs> before and it's really big yeah it's really easily one of the larger models uh that you're going to see on the table and then uh, yep and then finally so uh second place in the painting contest was actually a tie between uh between zach's corn with the with the display board that he put together and uh ryan's sylvaneth sylvaneth paint up really well yeah they do you pay attention to the details on them. And uh, yeah, these models I think look really, really good. Yep. And they, they photograph really well too, cause the bright colors, um, mm -hmm. good, good list with uh, three current uh, pretty, pretty solid uh, list. And then get another little close up there of the, the lead current there. You can see the, uh, you'd see the uh, detail a little bit better there. Yeah. It's just like, they don't have like a ton of little like fiddly filigree bits and, and, and buckles and stuff, but you really want to get the details of the wood to stand out and it's got to be really clean. And um, I think they look really good. And mm -hmm. they, they played well on the table. I played him. Um, the Kernoff Hunters are good. Uh, he had the, the Gossamid Archer that moves really, really fast. Doesn't do a lot of damage, but moves really fast, flies and shoots. So it can kind of put damage wherever you want it. Um, had the teleporting tree revs. Um, so yeah, a lot going on with that list. All right. <clears throat> yeah, can't wait to have our next event and see what, uh, you know, next time we do a tournament like this, like what rises to the top. But there's big changes coming with the new FAQ. Yeah, we thought we, thought we were doing a battle report this uh, episode, and then uh, then this came. I ran out of time to do it, and this is, yeah, th you know, this is more interesting to talk about anyway. Uh, and then a few of the other content creators have kind of covered this uh, a little bit. We're going to kind of go in a little bit of depth and kind of give our give our take on some of on some of these rules here as well. This isn't everything, but uh, just kind of like our kind of like our initial takes and, and opinions on some of the stuff. The 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 thing that really impressed me about this FAQ, the last one had questions on it. That they just really they did didn't answer the question. Answer. They didn't. <laughs> it was amazing how how much they did not answer the question. And this one, they I think took some feedback on that. And this one generally took the question, drilled very deeply into it, and answered them very thoroughly. This was a much better FAQ. It, and yeah. they actually went and. They actually went and changed things or answered questions that people didn't ask or that yes. were sort of like didn't make sense. They, they, they did a lot of clarification 
because Games Workshop is, of course, and it has been since the inception of Games Workshop, notorious for writing kind of loose rules. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you play competitively, you don't have to, like, nickel and dime every single interaction, but it's good to have official rulings to fall back on, on ambiguous language. And they cleaned up a lot of that. Yep. Um, and so... Fix it. Yep. And so, so um, we'll just dive right into it. Page 68, attack actions. So attack actions. So a change to the friendly fire rule. A very... It doesn't affect a ton of units, but the units it does affect, it really makes a big difference. There are units in the game that only have a range damage profile, and they literally could not fight in melee yep. combat. Right. And now they can. Yep. If they're if they're within three. Yes. So if they're if they're still shooting far away, then you still have to obey the friendly fire rule. But uh, if you're within if you're within three and have no minimum range. And so this is the, the javelin thrower from Hunters of Hawanchi. Um, first also, thing, untamed beasts, flamethrowers. Yeah. I think horns of the model that it affects the most in terms of like the unit, I think, is 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 good. And this effect by this rule is, is the flame hurlers from Horns of a Shut, which I think is a good profile. And I guess the is it the claws of Huanchi that it affects? Yeah, Huanchi's claw is a those, eight those inch, are also range javelin. Yeah, so so those are two like definite competitive worthy models that you're going to see on the table. So it, it only affects a couple of models, but the models it does affect tend to be good. I guess is mm-hmm. what I'm and being within three inches, you can get within three inches and still be relatively safe from combat, and still very be few able models to can them. can counterattack you at three inches. Right. So, yeah, that's good. It was, it's a good clarification. Yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah good it fixes, fixes, fixes a lot of feel bads from the friendly fire rule. Yeah. Um, uh, the neck carrying treasure is another yeah. fixes a feel bad. When people did this to you, it felt terrible if you didn't know this was how the rule worked. Right. Where Retroactive. Start a move action, grab a treasure, and finish the whole. If you're ten, move 10 flyer, you could finish the whole 10 inch movement. And they'd be like, well, no, you're supposed to be slower with treasure now. And you're like, only if you start a move action with treasure, ha, ha, ha. Right. That, that doesn't work anymore. Yeah. So, great, great change there. Uh, again, just fixing, again, fixing a fairly big loophole with, with the carrying treasure rules. Yeah, it was a big one. It, it sort of reminds me of the logic they gave in Magic, the Gathering, when they changed putting combat damage on the stack, where they were like, look, it doesn't take any more skill to do that it just is a gotcha moment for newer players that don't know the specific of the ruling it's counterintuitive and experienced players use it to make new players feel bad because it's counterintuitive but it's to the right. letter of the rule it's a good fix yeah i i missed that but i didn't miss that so uh and then also no one asked for this a change to raised fighters this is just a nerf is is what it is to what has been generally among the community kicked around as one of the very strongest, if not the strongest overall faction in 2.0. I know I abused the heck out of this when I was playing spiders under the old rules where you could raise and then activate. Um, And it made people mad. (laughs) Like (laughs) everybody was very polite about it, 
that everybody was like, this feels really bad to be on the receiving end of. I just killed that unit and it's now attacking me like yeah. in the same turn. It's well, crazy. you're not not that unit. Right. If, if, or if it didn't activate. So if it didn't activate. Run, yeah, they because they, they, that's the smart thing to do in miniatures games. Right. Is to go for the units that haven't activated yet so you can steal activations. And people would do that and I would res it and be like, ha, ha, ha. You know, it it's not. It it was too good. It made resing, which is already a very powerful ability, uh, too good. And uh, even as someone who plays Soul Black Grave Lords, I'm kind of set. I'm kind of glad to see that angle go. Yeah, it was it was overpowered, and now it's not, which is sort of the goal well, of these things. So. Yeah, and and to clarify, what we're talking about is raised fighters cannot be activated, use abilities, or make reactions in the combat phase in which they are in which they are set up. And a raised fighter is any model that has been the target of an ability that returns them to the, you know, a dead unit to the battlefield. Yeah. Um, so regardless, so uh, yeah, that, so it's, that's the big change, right? So regardless of when it died or which one you res, because before you had to kind of keep track, like okay. If something died, did it die this turn? Did it activate already? There's no more bookkeeping. When it comes back, right. boom, automatic summoning sick, not doing anything this turn. And, and so, resing is still yeah to, borrow, yeah. to borrow from magic, it basically has summoning sickness. Um, so, and for narrative, um, they can't use heroic traits or artifacts, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they, yeah, no reactions, like can't do anything. Yeah, this is a clarification that they aren't affected by any abilities that affected them when they were taken down. Like, you know, some units have, like, debuffs, like minus one toughness to the end of the battle round or minus um, uh, to the movement and that kind of stuff. So it clears that. Again, no more bookkeeping on that. You don't have to remember, oh, did this guy have a debuff on him when he died? The other... Yeah, everything, the, yeah, everything else kind of makes sense, right? They're not. They're still not considered to have been taken down. Um, you can get points back for them in Reaper. And then for narrative, uh, you still do injury rolls uh, for them in in a narrative if you bring right, it back. Because you know they did in fact die, uh, so that <laughs> that's fair. So yeah, this is a clarification. This was an argument that a lot of people had, and there was some kind of oh yeah, this is this sides. is one. Yep. Um, damage points from hits are only hits. They clarified in this, and I think they did it more than once, that crits are crits, hits are hits. If an ability affects one or the other, it will specify. If And if it affects both, it will specify. Right. Well, they uh, actually, well, there's a Jade Obelisk reaction, which reduces damage from hits and crits. It's yes. worded differently than, say, Untamed Beasts or Soulblight Gravelord's reaction, which or says my, has, yeah, has minus one damage from a hit. So... And this one is one where I, this one could have gone either way. I thought that they were going to make it affect crits and hits because otherwise, like if it only affects hits, the reaction is garbage. It's bad. It's not a good reaction. Yeah, it, um, it's only good out of insane corner cases. But yeah, it's just they just clarified that the reaction isn't good. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's what it's. <laughs> I mean, that is what it is. Uh. Bladeborn fighters, finally. So, so th this question was actually in the last FAQ, and they printed it and then did not answer it. It was yeah. <laughs> it was insane. 
And this time <laughs> they were just very clear. They just yes. said the multiple, yes. the multiple people have asked it, and I've seen email screenshots of emails from nameless GW reps saying, Yeah, sure you can. But I'm like, give us something a little more official. Um and so yeah, uh Bladeborn fighters a, from are, yes. specifically from Toma Champions. We'll be talking about this a little in a little more depth here later, but uh, yeah, they're they're fair game. It adds a lot of new models back into the game that I think it's hard for me to say most people, but the people I've talked list building with have not really paid much attention to in 2.0, with the assumption that we were going to have to wait for the next Tome of Champions to use them. Mm-hmm. Um, and now all of a sudden they just dumped a ton of models back into the game that have not received a lot of scrutiny under the 2.0 rules, which is exciting. That's always exciting. Getting yep. new models is, is, is exciting. With the caveat that the balance passes have not also been applied to them. And this in some true. cases that's yes. good. And in there's, some cases it's not as good. Yeah, there's again, there's there's loopholes that we're going to see here that are not all completely closed. We'll 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 talk about it more detail yep. later. But for example, yeah, just yep, in just a minute here, let's toughness, um, high toughness models are not going to be good. High movement models are going to be good, generally speaking, in two point. Yep. Uh, next up, so this is an interesting one here. So this is a narrative. Uh, when you earn renown, you get the ability to do free reactions. And the question is, is it spent? Is it like a consumable? Like you use the renown and you can't, and you have to earn it back? Or is it like you get one free reaction per level of renown per battle? And this is interesting in narrative because I played a four round narrative event at Nova. And I had like pretty much, after four rounds, I had pretty much everyone in my warband had like a level of renown. So I think a couple of my guys had two levels of renown. That's a lot of free reactions you get to have, a lot of free counters or whatever. And if they're replenish every game, that's a that's a big boost to your overall level of power. Uh, and that's and that's just using counters and stuff like that. If you build around using other reactions for your narrative warband, it gets really insane. And so I, I kind of appreciate that, that, yeah, that you can definitely snowball in power there with regards to, like, narrative warbands. But it seemed, like, too good to be true. But then, like, the flip side was if it's if it's consumable and you lose the level of renown and have to earn it back, that's, like, a feel bad. Because, like, no one's ever going to want to use it, right? You don't want to use it, oh, like, in, a, in an emergency situation, right? We always want to hoard resources. It's a reason so, that, that that games like World of Warcraft have gone away from 60-minute cooldowns because you're like, I'm I, if I use it now, I have to wait an hour to use it again, so I'll wait, and then you just never end up using it. Like, yeah. they want you to use this stuff. It, mm-hmm. it makes sense to me. So, yeah, this is interesting. And it, um, another thing that, another thing, we, again, for narrative here, if we ever do it a campaign or something like that, um, if you wind up with like, an insane amount of power creep in your campaign because, you know, everyone in your warband is like two levels of renown, you can always like not use the renown, right? If you're playing versus someone new, just to be like, yep, I'm just going to, you know, pull some punches uh, in this case, right? To make it a enjoyable, you know, experience for the newer player. Sure. Someone from uh, Dogs of War had mentioned that on uh, Discord. And that makes sense, right? I mean, you can always hold back, but it... I am. I can just imagine like a of battle versus two like seasoned warbands, and just like 
just tons of free reactions and just a lot of a lot of back and forth. It does kind of add that feel that these are seasoned veterans in combat, right? Because the combat becomes more elaborate um, as they get more skilled. Um, and I think that's interesting. Yep. Uh, and the last one, a core rule change. Uh, this really only affects one model in the game right now. But uh, uh, if you have an ability that changes your crit value, it actually... And this is a specific example here. Um, this affects the the uh, crew boys bolt boy boss. Yes. So, if you activate his ability and you crit on four plus, every any roll of a four plus is a crit, regardless of the target toughness. So you could be shooting a toughness six or a toughness seven, you're still critting on on fours. On fifty percent so, of your roll, you have a fifty percent crit chance. Yep. So, so that's if you're targeting some of, for example. Some of the um, uh, Stormcast um, cheaper models that have toughness six, but only 20 wounds, mm -hmm. and you're critting them 50% of the time, you will potentially chew through them. Yeah. Yeah. It's like an aim shot from the Bolt Boy boss. So he, I, he can't move, and then it's like the next attack crits on fours. Uh, who else? Horns of Hashit have that as well, I believe. Uh, there's yeah. a condition attached to it, but they can crit on a different uh, value as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, so cool. Yeah, again, clarification um, uh, of an ability. Yep. And these are all things that had come up, questions on the Discord and stuff like that. So, you know, someone's, someone's either forwarding these questions to GW or maybe, you know, someone's actually listening on the Discord, which is great. Uh, let's take a real quick aside here on the Underworld's fighters here. So... Fred kind of touched on it, and so the 1.0 profiles, some of them translate really well. A lot of them translate not so well. The things to keep in mind when looking at a profile to say, hey, is this something I want to use in 2.0? And again, this is not an exhaustive list, but things to look for, for to find good candidates, high movement models or flying models, because we know that they're way more expensive in 2.0. So chances are those sort of models are going to be undercosted in if you were to use the 1.0 uh, Toma Champions point value. Some of these examples really jump out at you. Look at Prague versus Astaba. Like it's better. It's more. It's cheaper, more wounds, and an extra strength. Yeah. Um, and he's five points cheaper. So. You take the first prog Veneta before you take the second, like the first Stabba, right? You only get one, but if you're taking Stabbas, the first one should be prog every time. Yep. Uh, and again, in, in game, when you're talking about gaming, a lot of times people overuse the phrase strictly better, like, right? Because a lot of times it's like usually mostly better, but sometimes there's corner cases. But prog's just a better. He's just strictly better. Yep. Yeah, we actually have cases of things that are strictly better in this case. And some of these are side grades, and some of them are like, but some of them are very, very attractive side grades. Slake Slash being 30 points cheaper than a Slakehorn is crazy. Yeah, so that's With an example. A yeah, that's an example of a, a, a high movement model that you know, in 2.0, Slake Slash at six movement would be paying, you'd be paying a lot more for them. So you're getting a bargain there. There's some scale. Again, so not strictly better. better. 
I think for yes. 30 points cheaper, you take Sleek Slash almost every time. Yeah, sacrifice assuming, the three wounds. And a uh, inch of range. Okay, yeah, yes. Assuming, assuming you're in Slanesh Mortals, or you yes. take Vasilek. Vasilek's a, I think Vasilek's a little over-costed, but it kind of breaks even. Sleek Slash and Set, who are both good. Right. And so you can take that package. Um, I use... Duke's Harriers, as an example, Inaya's Curseborn as well. Uh, examples of flyers that would be way more expensive uh, today. Um, other things are unique abilities or profiles. So Snurk's, Snurk Sour Tongue isn't necessarily a unique profile. Uh, he actually, it, in 1.0, it was a unique profile. There were no fanatics in 1.0. Uh, but even if you look at him compared to the fanatics now, that's still a unique profile, and you're getting quite a bit more. It's 15 points more than a Loon Slim Asha Fanatic, but you get which, uh, there what you're getting for the 15 points is well worth it, I think. I agree. Um, a lot of people were really disappointed when they added Fanatics to Warcry because we had seen Snurk, and then the other ones were just not as good. Snurk is like probably one of the most glass cannony models in the game. But uh, capable of insane damage output, um, and uh, yeah, I think I would definitely. If I had fifteen point, if only reason I would take a loon smash is that I had to have a fanatic for some reason, and I didn't have the fifteen points. Um, otherwise, you take snurk. Snurk is worth taking, I think, in a lot of situations to have the model. Where I wouldn't just cram a loon smash a fanatic into a list just to have one. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Squigs um, changed so much. Yeah, so some of the models, right, so some of the models that were, you know, they got big changes, right, like Squigs or, or Griffhounds, like none of the, like, there's, there weren't any Griffhounds in the in the 1.0, right? But Squigs all changed across the board, but you can still run essentially the equivalent of Monster Squigs using the old profile, two of them, if, uh, uh, if you want. Yeah, old Squigs were relatively slow, heavy-hitting models. And new squigs are cheap. <laughs> That's... Yeah, to go along with the rest of the warband. So, um, I still don't... I wouldn't play squigs in my Gets warband at 80 points. Um, it's like, what do they bring to the table that you're excited about? But Zarbags get squig. I still probably... Don't play it, but you take a look at it because its damage output is good and it's got a lot of wounds. Yeah. So, so yeah, again, different philosophy. A lot more options, unique options that you're not going to see in the compendium. And again, this is not an, exa an exhaustive list. Um, I know I can think of a few more. There's like strict. There's like um, I think almost strictly superior Ungor Raiders in Gra Gashrak's uh, Despoilers. There's and, there's a whole lot uh, of other kind of Rashrak is a unique profile himself. He yep. is very different than a stock a great Bray Shaman. Yep. Um, you have like Gigantha and and uh, the dog Grawl for Soul Black, or uh, Slaves of Darkness, which don't have equivalents. You have an archer. Um You have so you you know unique abilities, right? Grashrak gives you a, a essentially a net on a quad, right? The paralyzed. It's not a net. It's a cannot activate. Right, right. Which is better, but takes a quad, fine. But he also just has a much better attack profile than a standard Great British Shaman. Yeah, um, Jigitra. 
Jagithra is another one where, like, sometimes you just have those point gaps in, like, Slave to Darkness, and for 15 points up from a Marauder, she's almost the same profile, but faster and uh, has uh, abilities that are unique to her. Um, so I think that's a that's a good one that we got back for, for Slaves. Um, then you have stuff like Skate's Wild Hunt. None of those models exist in the game outside of that warband. They are all unique profiles. Um, so I guess the takeaway here is 2.0 with Underworld Fighters is not a solved format. Um, it's too new. There's too many options. There's too many unique choices for us to sit here and say the, the same lists are going to be good in 2.0. Um, it adds a tremendous amount of variables, and they're really worth looking at. If you're looking at building lists, really take a hard look at those Underworld Warbands. Not all of them are good, but you may find p bits and pieces there that, that stand out. Yep. Shout out to our good friend Jolly from the channel Generally Bad Gamers. He started a series. He's doing a deep dive on all of the 1.0 uh, Underworld's Warbands from the Toma Champions and going into depth about, he's doing all the side-by-side -side comparisons, determining whether or not they're good, uh, and then also, you know, whether or not they're worth it as well. Some of these things are, are going to be kind of hard to find as well. Uh, this is true. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, I basically picked them all up in 1.0 because I have the disease, but um, now some of these are, are very difficult to get, and that's unfortunate. Maybe they'll reprint them. Probably not. But um, Probably not, but we're going to have a, a pretty liberal proxy policy here, and then Jolly has stated the same. So, yeah, check that out because it deserves a deep dive that we're not doing right now. There's a ton of data to look at. Yep. So moving on, though. That's one, that's one of the big things, one of the biggest changes that everyone was looking for. Compendium rules changes. So we'll kind of go over some of these here. Um, I'm going to point out the Anvil Guard Loyalists got moved to be a quad, the Show No Mercy ability. Um, that's an ability that said um, it was the, you get the, you add the va half the value of the triple to your hits and crits. And so if you weren't doing a Tempest Eye ally, you could take a, a fast mover. There was like a cavalry dude that was pretty affordable. And you make them anvil guard, and you had a really fast suicide hammer. If you could yeah, there's definitely some options there, too. The, the assassin is a foot fighter that can benefit from that kind of thing. He's got five attacks. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but now, now it's, that it's a quad, it's a little more, it's more balanced now. You can't, you can't, you can. I mean, you can do whatever you want, but... Generally speaking, strategically, you can build around your triples, but you can't build around quads. Yeah. Um, so it does change the focus there a little bit. Um, speaking of that, you can build around triples. That was a big triple everyone built around. Tempesai, yeah. Tempesai finally, finally gets all in line with the rest of them. Yep. yep. They with all got nerfed one by one. Undead one. Abilities. Um, the big takeaway there. Is you can still use it. It's still good, but yeah, I still it, think it's I still think it's good. Yeah, um, assuming like you can slingshot, you can slingshot in one turn, get plus six movement, plus six inches of movement to like a slow fighter, get them into the fight, and then after that, I think they're going to be good to go. 
Porter has a lot of slow, heavy hitters um, that benefit from this because they have Stormcast. Um, but I don't think it... To me, it's no longer the default uh, is right. bring a Tempest Eye ally. So we'll see how it shakes out a little yeah, bit. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll be talking here in a bit about the overall... What this does, the overall format you know for competitive uh, lead from the back lead from the back oh boy rest Book in peace lead from the back we hardly knew you nope. so we knew this is a great ability i'll everyone liked to brew with it no one ever really used it until there's the iron golems list that was at salty's tournament use oh. it brilliantly i think in, in 2.0. Um, in 1.0, right. it was like one of the game-defining abilities, right? Like, it was in the top-tier list, but... Yeah, so, you know, the Iron Golems list had a couple allies, including a Master Molder there, and it was an interesting list because you had, like, an Ogre Breacher, you had Master Molder, you had a Slaughter Priest, you had the Dominar, and the lead from the back worked well with all of them. In... You could do things like you could leave from the back, affect one fight, or leave from the back and then wait, have a guy activate, get the bonus attacks, and then the Master Molder moves fast enough, you can move him into another fight, affect another bubble, and get even more bonus attacks across the board. Um, so it's been brought in line with all the other bonus attack uh, abilities now, pretty much. They all add pretty much just like plus one across the board. Still fine. No longer the focus of your Skaven leaders is that they bring lead from the back, but it's still fine. Yep. Uh, I, I don't miss it. I never use it much, but then again, I was always cracking whips and using yes. running death a little bit more. Um, I've had this in my, you know, I have it, I have it, have this in my arsenal, but never really felt the need for it. So. Soulblood Soul Graveboards taking a big nerf. Uh, their res used to return units fully back to life, but they had to be minions um, to do it, unlike the... Nighthawk. The yeah, Nighthawk. Uh, but now, um, if it's a skeleton or a zombie, you get to bring them back fully healed. If it's any other minion, they come back damaged. Yep. So, so you're not getting all you're not getting the insane value anymore. Right. On I top mean, of the new rules where they also can't, you know, activate. Yes. Mm -hmm. Now people are saying that, you know, this will push Silver Graveboards into skeleton spam, and I think that's there's something to be said for that. But I mean Silver Graveboards are still really good. They're still as far as raw damage efficiency, they're still insane. So um, you just can't run like the loop. Of, of resing the same one over and over again as effectively. So talking about kind of loopholes, Sons of Velmorn, the two smaller grave guard, or actually is it, no, three, the three smaller grave guard from the Sons of Velmorn have the minion not... rune mark, but according to this, do not have the elite rune mark brought back. Very good point. Sons of Velmorn are... You can run are, them, and you can good. actually res them at full health. I like it. That's that's funny, and yeah. I like it. So yeah, Zarbags gets stocks are going up. Sons of Villamore and stocks going up. Um, speaking of gets, 
they've Boom done Spike this hit, to yeah. a couple other abilities in the game. The Slan Star Master teleport was changed to only teleport Seraphon. Now you can no longer run um, a big ogre or iron jaws monster uh, and get free actions for it. It has to be a friendly fighter with, with the gloom spike gets your mark. So you can still run founder boss, loon boss on giant cave squig. You can still still turn Netta's abilities into leader activations, right? You can, which is good. But it, it will change. The you're not getting space. free moves from trolls or from trogoths or mega bosses and such. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So this is a big change to uh, Gits, which was the de facto faction for destruction soup. And then another change, they changed Madcap destru- destruction. They actually made it. I don't know what the heck they were smoking when they wrote it the first time it makes zero sense but now it actually reads like a real ability now for madcap destruction yep. roll a die make a bonus move action up to double the value of that result and you get a char- you get a charge damage or impact damage if you're within an inch so again uh, makes perfect sense now before it was it wasn't a bonus move and it was you know you wind up using it and having to move uh, it made zero sense before Iron Jaws, they clean up some rune marks there. So now Brutes get both Duff Up the Big Thing and You Messin. Yeah, Brutes are really interesting fighters now. They they can Duff Up the Big Thing on big units and they can You Messin on smaller units, meaning that yeah. it's... Because before, with You Messin, you wouldn't swarm an objective with a Brute near it with Chaff because it wouldn't matter but right, now they can bring big, your big fighters sense. over, they can punch above their weight class. So that makes them really interesting models to 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 list build with. Yeah, I think uh, I think Iron Jaws got a lot better. Um, I think before I was like thinking, you know, maybe maybe three brutes in a list, maybe two brutes just for you messing. Now you're seeing folks they're brewing, you know, lists with five brutes in it. You know, the whole box worth. So we gotta we gotta get more brutes, man. <laughs> we gotta split more brute boxes. Yep, it's true. Um, again, minor change to the unmade vessel of torment was their was their quad. And actually, no, that was a triple for them. I think. Yeah, it just cleans up the wording on it to let to let them use it if they're already engaged, giving them the op making giving them the optional move uh, before making the uh, the the bonus attack action. Probably how it was always intended to play. Just the wording was yeah, not. Just, yeah, the templating. The templating was a little messed up. Again, really just, happy to see the, just just clean up and tightening of a lot of these rules. Um, a lot of the things that didn't quite make sense. All right, and lastly, dun dun dun, cross the board, exactly. cross the board. But a good rule of thumb is monsters got a hundred points more expensive. At least, I believe. It varies. So these are the new values. And you might think, well, geez, monsters are unplayable. They've essentially been soft banned. That may or may not be the case. I think there's still a place for them. But we've been kind of discussing, and it's, it's more along the lines of you can play a monster still, but the rest of your warband is going to be a lot more hollow. Smaller numbers, less 
less killiness apart from the rest of Warman because you're paying so much more for the monsters, right? Uh, the Chimera, for example, is over half your points now. Zombie Dragon's even more than that. Amazingly. So they have made it so it's very difficult to field an effective warband alongside a monster unless you can build with very inexpensive or efficient units around them. So that's sort of lessened the amount of warbands that can effectively field a monster, I think. And we'll see if that's true. But I think that you can still very reasonably field a monster in Soul by Gravelards. You can still reasonably field a monster in um, Nurgle Demons. And uh, we have two lists here that reflect that philosophy right off the bat. Yeah. So what you're looking at right now for your first action, you're going to be, this is what you're going to be testing, right? You're going to play Glotkin as a Cygor. You're going to keep your Vanguard as your mobile hammer. And then you have still have points for five more models. So that gives you, uh, you can play Plague Ridden and then four Plague Bears, 990 points, seven models. So on the lower end now, but still not completely hollow. And has a, it has a second good hammer. A big downgrade, too, in the monster quality as well. But Cygor is still okay. And, you know, the thing about the Cygor is it has that throw boulder ability, which can do a lot of range damage. Uh, gives you something that the Warband didn't have. You still have Dragon Maul. It still hits fairly hard. Uh, it's harder to corner in place with its big base because it can just stand there and throw rocks. There, there are some things to explore there. Um, and Gorgon is a, yeah, Gorgon is another option at 445. But yeah. even I, going you lose a play bear for that, yeah. um, uh, like yeah. off the cuff. But but you can also turn your Varengard into a plague bringer, which is the plague drone lord, um, uh, which is not bad, it's 255 points, and it brings which means because you're 990, you have 10 points to spare, you can drop the 30 points down from the Varen Guard, bring the Plague Bringer, and have enough room to upgrade your Stygor to a Gorgon. Um, it's got 35 wounds and 5 attacks, and new 6 flyer. Like, it's a reasonable model if you're trying to shave points without losing model count. That would be another thing I would test if you wanted to play a Gorgon. You either cut a Plague Bearer or downgrade your Varen Guard to a Plague Bringer. Mm -hmm. And then we also kind of talked about, so Grave Guard sort of getting nerfed because they don't, interact so well with the resing anymore uh, but the skeletons are still really cheap still come back at full health you can and you can actually still get a large number of models on the table here 10 models is nothing to sneeze at terror guys necromancer two grave guard and six skeletons comes in at 995 points 10 models this list plays a 500 point model and still gets to play 10 models that's how cheap skeletons are um, we talk about here, alternatively, you can use a Sepulchral Warden instead of a Necromancer. That saves you enough points that you can upgrade your two Graveguard from Sword and Shield to Great White Blade, which are the much, like, more offensively-minded ones. Um, and the, the Necromancer's in here because it's an inexpensive leader. The Sepulchral Warden is an even more inexpensive leader. Obviously, with this many skeletons, you could spike a big quad and use um, the Dance Macabre, but 
that's not why the Necromancer's in the list. Like, we're not building around that quad. It's just something that they can do. Um, I thought that the Terror Guys list with Soul Black Gravelord spam was one of the better lists you could play in 2.0 before this change. So this is attempting to kind of keep that list alive in some way. Yeah, because the Terror Guys is no slouch. Ten models oh. is still decent. Sepulchral so, Warden, if you have it or have access to it or want to run it. Again, that's under the unique profile. That's the cheapest leader available in Soul Black Gravelords now. Yep. Yep. And so, again, these are these are just things to think about, but this is if you're looking at what a post FAQ monster list looks like, it's probably the best ones are probably gonna look something like this. If you know, you can do that. You play yeah. a Sloppy you Bile Piper, a Chimera, and then fill out with Plague Bearers, and you still get a playable number of models. Um, all your offensive output is your Chimera, so you have to play around it that way. But, you know, with cheap enough chaff, a lot of things are possible. Yeah, otherwise you're looking at like four or five model lists, and I'm not sure that's where you want to be at. Unless you're Justin Orton, you can win with well, any. Then you can do whatever you want, basically. <laughs> Especially if you're playing Rumble Pack missions, um, which four and five model warbands are going to have a lot of hard time winning a lot of those the way they're set up. Um, I think that you can still play monsters. They're still the thing is they didn't make monsters worse. They did not change their stat lines or their abilities at all. Uh, we were kicking around. We thought maybe Dragon Ball could go to a quad. Yeah, um, it did not. Monsters are once you get them on the table. They're still just as insane as they were. They're just harder to get on the table now, right? So then once you get them on the board, if you can still get six, seven, eight, nine models around them, they still play just as ridiculous. So they're worth thinking about. If you can fit one in, they're no longer, if you want to build the most competitive list in the game, you start with the Chimera and go from there. But you can still really consider one. You don't have to put them back on the shelf if you can get this cheap chaff and sort of squeeze some, some, you know, massage your list to get some numbers in there around them, I think they're still going to play really, really well. Dragon Maul is still busted, but, you know. Still. So, just a few final thoughts here. Um, overall changes to the meta. Uh, I think that what this does, it, it does exactly what it's intended to do. We had a handful of archetypes that were clearly head and shoulders above the rest. Soul Black Grave Lords, Monster Lists, Destruction Soup. You could also argue that Allies and Annihilators, um, that sort of construct using the Tempest Eye ability was also probably pretty strong, and anything else was, was just second best. It brings them down, but it doesn't like completely make them unplayable. I think that's kind of the definition of a successful nerf right like it's i think so yeah it it really curved the really more overpowered aspects but nothing was like oh well throw this in the trash it's done now right yeah so don't throw away your terror geists just yet uh yeah and again this is i can't wait to see what this does in terms of like opening it up the meta in terms of like the wide you know the the variety of warbands you see uh there's like a a, a a narrower power band or a wide or a wider variety of things available um if you're going to grade this faq 
Well, how would you grade it? I give the FAQ an A. I think that if you expected a better FAQ to, to rebalance the game, I don't know that that's realistic. We'll yeah, see how I, it plays out, but I think they targeted all the right things and they didn't over-nerf anything. Yeah, I agree. This was uh, about as solid of a of a fact as you could really ask for. Like, short of, an, of the next, like, Tome of Champions, like, I don't know what really. Yeah, uh, I'm a little... I'm a little harder on them. I'm going to give it an A minus. You really got to press me to get an A if you're taking one of my, if you're taking a class with me. I got to give them an A minus just because there's still some there's still some loopholes. There's still some kind of points discrepancies with the Tilma Champions fighters. I would like to have seen them get a, a pass through of points updates. Maybe that comes another Tilma Champions. Again. It's that. A little... You gotta sell the book, right? Right. right. Yeah. There's gotta be something in it that sells the book, and it'll be the re- the rebalancing. I think it'll be in the tone chat. Hey, yeah. remember anyone... how we legalized all these fighters again? Here's the new rules. Yep. Yep. Exactly. But uh, I mean, if anyone from GW happens to be listening, like, don't take that the wrong way. It was an incredible FAQ. Does everything that they're supposed to. Pleasantly surprised by it. Whoever was involved in it deserves a round of applause um i think that really goes a long way towards establishing it as a balanced game a balanced game for competitive and again just getting everything congruent with each other right like every you know all the points values all kind of match everything sort of makes sense everything in order um and I, I think that I think we I think we're going to get that in another Tome of Champions. Hopefully, uh, they probably aren't going to reprint stats or rules, but you know, a, I don't think a points update for Tome of Champions uh, twenty one fighters is necessarily like out of the ordinary or out of out of the question. So I know GW doesn't have has a policy of not supporting models that aren't in print anymore, and it, it is what it is. I get that, but. Uh, yeah, just again, just making everything, everything, just every, making everything line up. Um, they do, a, they do, they do put a lot of work into doing the same thing for 40k kill team, and I like seeing that attention ma- put in this game as well. And those are my final yeah, thoughts. Absolutely. Yeah. So what do we got coming up next? Upcoming events. Uh, I haven't locked it in yet, but I'm targeting next Sunday, February 26th, at Epic Loot for our next event. Uh, this will probably be, uh, we're going to break out the uh, Rumble Pack missions, and we're going to start playing those, and we're going to add those into the repertoire. Uh, it should be interesting. New victory conditions, some secondary conditions. Um, and uh, yeah, so once I get word on that, I'm going to put the word out in all the local discords there. Uh, and then also I want to ask you guys, since I got you on, put you on the spot here. Um, do you guys want to do another get together at Mavericks? Last one we did was after Thanksgiving. And uh, again, I'm I'm a- able to do like, you know, one support one a month at Mavericks as well on a Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. I'd like to. I'd have to get back to you on dates, but um, I think we should do one and do one soon. I think it'd be a good opportunity for people to test the changes. Um and see what they're going to play for the next uh, next get bigger get together. I think we should knock one out here in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, all I'm, right. I'm always, you know, 
work schedule permitting, always trying to get get in as much uh, gaming as possible. So. All right. Well, this brings us to a close for this episode of Dayton War Pride Club. It's exciting times, and we covered a lot of ground today. We'll be back with more soon with a battle report from our tournament. Until next time, I'm War Machine. Red Shred. See you forever. Thanks for listening. Man, I got so much editing to do after this. It's all falling apart. Embarrassing.